0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 112 of the Farm Traveler podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams, and today on the show, we are going to talk about honey. So we've had a couple of honey farmers on the show before. We've had Register Bee Farm from here in Northwest Florida. And today we're talking with a guy whose name is Jay Williams, um no relation actually, and he is from the Williams Honey Farm in Tennessee. So Jay has done a great job of building a honey company and a business all around honey production, and he actually came from film school, which is actually I mean, super neat. He is not from agriculture, but he is one of those people that found his way into a super cool niche in the ag industry, and that's honey and beekeeping. And so chatting with Jay uh, learned a lot about kind of how he got into it, how he uses his skills that he learned um, going to filmmaking school and translating that to building um, social media and videography for his honey business. And also, he does a lot of really cool stuff on helping beekeepers across the country. He does something called a Tactical Beekeeping Academy. He does that. He does coaching. He does a lot of really great stuff for his bees and for his hives and for people in the beekeeping industry. So had a lot of fun chatting with Jay, learned a lot about honey, even things like, I I didn't know that this was a thing, but apitherapy? where people get stung by bees on purpose. It's like, um, oh gosh, what is it? When they put the little needles in you, it's like acupuncture. It's like that, but better, more natural, I guess. So that was really neat to kind of get his thoughts on that. And also something which I didn't know that bees have venom, but apparently bee bee venom and that's harvested in some certain ways. So yeah. Uh, Oh, and also we're going to get Jay's thoughts on, um, you know, Bees getting shipped over to California or wherever there might be almond orchards, and how that's a good thing and kind of a bad thing, and why that might be hurting the industry, and all that good stuff, or or I guess all that bad stuff. And some really fun facts like queen bees can lay up to 2,000 eggs a day, which is insane. And then also, how Jay does his bee removal, so he also has some services where will go and he'll get bees in locations where they're not supposed to be, like in the walls of a home or at a school or somewhere like that. And so I really hope you enjoy this episode. I learned a lot about honey production and how Jay is building his um, his honey farm and stuff like that up there in Tennessee. And fun fact, I it took me a little bit to realize this, but I was on Jay's Instagram, which is um, his Instagram is just, it's William's Honey TN if you want to go follow his honey business there. And um, there were a couple of reels, and I talked to him about this. I was like, why does this girl look familiar? Oh, that's his sister. Why does she look really familiar? Well, uh, fun fact for you. His sister is Kimberly Williams Paisley, a.k.a. Brad Paisley's wife. So, fun fact. I think that's super neat. Kind of a small world. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think you'll enjoy this episode. Again, this is episode 112 with Jay Williams from the Williams Honey Farm in Tennessee. Thanks so much for listening. And also be sure to check out uh, Jay and his cool honey business. I will link all of that in the description of the show. So thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next episode. Well, I mean, you know, obviously stay put and listen to this episode because it's great. So listen to this episode and then be sure to come back next week. We'll have another awesome episode. All right. Thanks so much for listening. All right, well, Jay Williams of Williams Honey Farm, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. I always love learning more and more about honey and kind of beekeeping and all that stuff. So tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of how you got started with Williams Honey Farm.
2: Well, shoot, where do we start? Um, I, uh, about 12, 13 years ago now, I kind of lose track. We moved from California to Nashville, Tennessee. And I grew up as an actor and worked in the film business for a long time and literally went to film school, got nothing to do with bees or agriculture, like zero. (laughs) Like I saw it in a movie kind of thing. Like, I don't know anything. And um, we moved to Tennessee and we, you know, we moved here to to raise kids and kind of, you know, start a family and that sort of thing. And my wife read an article in the newspaper about how bees were in trouble. And I don't know what it was. It was just sort of a blind luck or divine intervention, whatever it was. It, it struck me, it struck a chord. And, uh, you know, I said, why are, why are the bees dying? Number one. And, you know, why is everybody so afraid of honeybees? Uh, what is, you know, what's sort of the secret here? What's the secret sauce? And, uh, you know, one thing led to another and I, I got two beehives and like literally like two weeks later, I was talking about how I can get a hundred beehives. And it became an obsession. And you know, I, I think it's, it's fair to say I'm addicted to beekeeping. Um, you know, I, I carry the card for sure. Uh, and I you know, live and breathe this stuff. Uh, and I think what, what's made it so interesting is that no one's quite figured this stuff out. No mm-hmm. one's figured out how to be the perfect beekeeper. No one's really mastered it. And so it's really any man or woman's game. You know, it's, it, we're still sort of paving the way and trying to, to do it better every day. And every single day, literally, that I work the bees, and I, it's almost every day, uh, this little tiny bug, this little insect, teaches me something new. And so this this passion, this you know hobby, whatever you want to call it, has just it's it's more than grown; it's snowballed uh, to the point now where you know this is this is really um, this is part of my life, and it's part of my family's life. Um, again, we're you know it's it's really a mom and pop operation. Uh, right now, we manage you know between 60 and 100 colonies. Uh, but really our business, you know, initially was about honey, but now it's all about how do we teach, inspire, and make more beekeepers, and how do we bring back the populations of bees, so it's really not about making honey, it's it's all about the bees, and raising bees that my kids can, you know, appreciate and raise in 20 years, uh, rather than right now, so that's kind of where we're headed, it's, it's all education, it's all, um, you know, PR events, and trying to get the word out, and um, making, you know, the best well-armed beekeepers we can possibly make.
1: Yeah. I was checking out your stuff, um, your Instagram, which is just Williams honey farm. And you've got a bunch of stuff up there, like your beekeeping Academy, you've got private coaching, you've got sponsoring a hive and all that stuff. So, I mean, it really seems like you're diving into the whole education side of it, which I think is really cool.
2: Yeah. It's sort of resonating with people. The, yeah, the, our Instagram handle is Williams honey TN. And, uh, you know, it's funny I don't know if you've dealt much with like Instagram reels, but you know, it's just mindless fun, you know, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, substance to it. But you know, if I do something on bees and I throw together a 15 second reel, it's ridiculous. The amount of uh, traction or interaction or engagement we get. Um, and then, you know, beyond that stuff that has substance um, you know, like catching a swarm, it's a prime example. Like yesterday or the day before, I can't even remember now, but I caught a swarm in my yard, a, a bee swarm. And all I did was strap a iPhone camera to my chest and go about my business, you know? And, and I was catching the swarm. I was putting the swarm in a box and, you know, I found the queen and I had to mark marker and stick her in a cage and stuff. Um, and I put it out there thinking, you know, maybe a couple people think it's cool or whatever. And we're like nearing 4,000 views in 48 hours um, of, you know, this simple story about catching a swarm of bees. But the, the, the exciting thing is that a lot of people just have no idea. It's a foreign language, and if I'm able to provide, you know, some sort of education or or just a different kind of view—I mean, first-person view—I'm um, especially using, you know, my film um, career education. I'm happy to do it, and it's sort of been an easy transition for me.
1: Yeah, are you? Because that's super fascinating. Like you went to film school, and then now you're doing beekeeping. I mean, that's such a cool—it's—it's <laughs> it's such a cool switch. I mean, are you finding that? Like, as you're trying to make these reels or just all this really good content for beekeeping, are you uh, are you probably using a lot of the stuff you used at film school, right? But instead of for, for a movie, you're doing it to help educate people about
2: bees. Totally. And I, I'm trying to, to prove to my parents that, like, you know, the money was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the tuition's going somewhere. Um, yeah, it's, it's you know, it, it's exactly what we learned in film school. Although it's, you know, there's there's no pressure to, like, sell the the deal, you know, because everybody is right, yeah. it, free. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely using, you know, I, like I said, I strap a camera to my chest, or I have a GoPro, or you know, I, I fly drones pretty well. So uh, I'm trying to throw it all together and create as interesting and creative and you know, vibrant um, a picture as I can. Because the more people that see this, you know, the more people that not necessarily will be beekeepers, but will take care of the bees, or not spray pesticides in the backyard, or buy honey, or or sponsor a beehive, you know, whatever it is. I think the cleaner and happier and brighter view that you can give people of the unknown, the farther you you go.
1: Oh, absolutely. And so speaking of the drone things, two questions. How do the bees respond to the drones? Are they kind of like iffy about it or do you keep it kind of far away from them?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. They don't like the drone. (laughs) I bet. there's, There's no question. They're not friends at all. Uh, just the fact that, you know, there's a male bee is called a drone and I fly a drone. There's no love in between the two. Um, so yeah, I'm usually farther away. Um, and you know, I, I, I'm very fast when I, when I get in, I shoot something and then I get out and I hover far away while I kind of recheck the, the footage and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't go over well.
1: I can imagine. That's awesome. So, and another thing I've heard so much research that is going into drones that might effectively replace bees. And it's funny because, you know, I mean, the bee population has been decreasing for, I mean, decades now. But I think it's weird that there seems to be more research going into replacing bees with drones instead of like how we can actually help save the bees. So what do you think about that?
2: Shoot, you're like you're tapping into like a four hour podcast. Yeah, you're, <laughs> there you you're go. right, man. Like, yeah, it's like it's a little disheartening. You know, we are there's something called the Varroa mite that really is mm. taking down all of our bees. And a Varroa mite is basically like a tick on top of a bee. I don't know how else to describe it. It's it's It kind of clings on, it sucks the blood, and it weakens the bee, and does all these really terrible things. Well, this Varroa mite, it was our fault. We literally imported it into the U.S. Um, decades ago. But this mite's been around for decades. And we are still fighting this darn thing and haven't come up with, you know, there's no silver bullet. There's nothing that's really... Um, the the go to for fighting this thing, and yet we're putting all this money into other you know avenues um, to try and replace the pollinators instead of go and try and save the bees, you know it's things like that you know it's it's points or principles like that that motivate us to go out again and like teach as many stinking beekeepers as we possibly can and you know create a we have we just created a digital um, beekeeping academy this past year during COVID because you know I I refuse to sit back and just not let, you know, people that are dying to get into this thing um, experience beekeeping. So what do you do? You do it all remotely. You know, you you figure out a way to teach and empower people, you know, across the country or the world um, in, you know, interesting and, you know, cinematic ways um, and, and people resonate with it. So it's been really fun.
1: I bet. So one of my coworkers, actually, her husband has been doing beekeeping for a few years, I think. And like he'll go and he'll remove beehives and then he'll start the hives on his own and I think he just now started selling the honey. And so I bet people like him are perfect for your um, your academy. So what's the feed like been like so far on, on your academy?
2: Um, it's been great. I mean, it's been really fun. Um, I think, you know, there's a certain, I think it's different than a couple of years ago. The internet's different than a couple of years ago, which is, you know, obvious because it changed every year. But a couple of years ago, you couldn't get away with like, maybe not the flashiest of stuff, you know, like had to be perfect. Versus these days, or especially to add the pandemic filter on things, people like want that, like I said, like iPhone strapped to your chest that's maybe like a little bumpy or a little clumsy or whatever. People want, um, you know, a beekeeping academy where it's literally me and the camera, and then I take you out to the yard and I'm like, okay, here are the, you know, five things that I've really screwed up on. um, And here's what it looked like when I screwed up. And here's how you can not make that same mistake. And when you, I feel like when you approach, you know, a customer or your social media base, and you just say, look, here's me, I'm not perfect. Um, People, you know, they tend to, they tend to cling to you, or they tend to um, resonate with with your material a lot better, because they can identify, you know, no longer do we have to be a, a perfect Instagram feed anymore. Now it's like, yeah, watch me, I just fell down and look how I got back up. That's the important part, you know.
1: Yeah, I like that. I've seen more people doing like honest, um, less produced stuff, like on Instagram or Facebook, where, I mean, people want to see like the real side of beekeeping or farming or anything. And I think that's resonating with a lot of people. Because I mean, even stuff like your reels, like, they're really well done. And like, I'm looking at them right now, they've got like 1000s of views. So it seems like people really enjoy them.
2: Yeah, they really do. You know, it's funny is like, um, there's some, I won't name them because I don't know if I'll get in trouble, but there's some really big named companies, uh, out there that will pick up my reels or even my instructional videos that are again, you know, kind of, you know, a little grungy or, you know, real world stuff. And then they'll put it on their fancy channels. <laughs> oh, so dang, yeah. like, it, it's kind of like, you know, they'll, they'll give me that boost of all of a sudden I have a hundred thousand more views because, you know, some big company said, Hey, here's a guy that, you know, is, is doing it and it's not super polished, you know, let's show them to the rest of the people. Um, and again, like, it's really not really about the views for me. It's just trying to get more people to understand how important bees are, what they can do to try and, you know, help the bee population if they aren't a beekeeper. Um, and then if they are a beekeeper, I can't tell you how many people are sort of dying for like tactical advice, kind of like mm. th- it's the name of my academy is tacticalbeekeeping.com because it's literally like, okay, here are five things you got to go do. You know, here's what it looks like when you go do them. Um, too many beekeeping schools and and books and, and other stuff that's out there right now says, oh, you know, when it's time to harvest the honey, you take the honey and you stick it in your extractor and then you're done. And then people are like, but, but wait a second, you know, like, well, how do I do that? <laughs> what are the, what are the five steps to to make sure that I harvest the right way? And like, is it heavy? I don't know, you know? So what I'm trying to do at least, or my my goal here is to bridge that gap between that perfect textbook and like, all right, kid, this is you in the real world or you and me in the real world, let's get you through this thing, you know?
1: Yeah, more tactical advice, real,
2: Still there? Sorry, I,
1: oh. I, I muted myself somehow yeah, during no. the whole okay. thing. But no, I was thinking, I mean, that's such a good, I mean, tactile way to like, let them go out there and practice it as you're telling them how to do it instead of just like, I'm reading in a book is great, but for something as hands on as beekeeping, that's perfect.
2: Yeah. And I think people's like, you know, let's be honest, people's attention span is not what it used to be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, when I was
2: younger. So like, they want to like, all right, give me the highlights because I got eight other things I got to get done today and I want to make sure I get through this. Um, you know, and and two, like the technology has gotten so amazing now that you know you can strap a camera to yourself, or you can fly a drone over your shoulder, or um, you can stick a GoPro camera inside a hive, or even beyond that. Like you know, we have a um, it's called Tactical Beekeeping Alert Program. So like, whenever I do something in my yard, I send out a text to this server, and the server blasts it out to every follower that signs up for this program. And so literally, it just says, hey. It's like a tap on the shoulder, like, hey, buddy, we're harvesting honey this coming week. You may want to think about the same thing. Or, hey, my numbers of varroa are starting to to climb in my hives um, around town. Hey, maybe you should go out and just double check yours. And so using that technology where it literally pings someone's phone and just sort of reminds them, hey, don't forget about X, Y, and Z, um, I think is something we couldn't do. I I mean, I couldn't do five, 10 years ago, uh, and now I can pretty darn easily, and I think it's helping a lot more people.
1: Oh yeah. And that's so convenient. I mean, I'm learning more and more with this podcast. Like you don't want to inconvenience your listener or even your follower, like for your beekeep, yeah. beekeeping stuff. Yeah. I mean, whatever is mo- most convenient to them, they're going to follow it. They're going to do it. So, I mean, it's all about convenience.
2: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, and it's also about fun. Like you've got to, you know, you've got to be pretty straightforward. You got to be humble and you got to say, look, you know, again, like this is where I screwed up and isn't this a funny story, you know, (laughs) like, don't worry, you're probably going to do the same thing. And that's okay, because we're all in this together.
1: Oh, yeah. And and that's something I learned when I was teaching. So I taught for two years. And the scariest thing is not knowing the answer. But I mean, students and even like, definitely people, they'll appreciate your honesty whenever you're like, Oh, actually, they they don't know everything. So let me just follow and see how they're going to get to the right answer. So it's okay to not know the answer to not know all the answers. So that's a good point.
2: Yeah. All I could do is basically say, look, I don't know the answer, but look here, you know, maybe you can help find the answer or, or he's the, here's the guy you got to talk to, you know? Oh yeah.
1: So, all right. Um, one thing that I didn't know about, um, bees until a few years ago is that a lot of them get shipped all over the country. Um, like to almond farms in California or really wherever they might need to get, um, pollinating, um, certain crops. So, Do you feel like that's hurting the industry more than it's actually helping, like in terms of bee population? Because I've heard of crazy stories where people will ship the bees out there and then people will steal the hives while they're out in the fields. I mean, what do you think about that?
2: So um, this is a bit of a controversial topic, um, but hey, let's let's jump in. (laughs) Let's let's go through it. Um, So this is just obviously my opinion alone. Um, Number one, people need to Make a living, I get it. you know they got to survive and and typically the large commercial um, operations, they've got to make a certain amount of income to survive and that income usually when you're a large operation comes from pollinating the almond orchards. Mm-hmm. So every year um, you know around uh, January, February ish, you know whatever the statistic is, it's literally like three quarters of all the hives in the US are trucked to the Central Valley or other areas where the almonds are growing you cannot make almonds without uh, honeybees. And so the prices that they are getting for these colonies are quite high. I mean, over $200, $250 a colony, and there's people that move in 10,000 colonies. So it's obviously a really big moneymaker. The almond growers need them, and then the commercial pollinators need that income to survive. So that's the sort of the business sense of it. The real world or the repercussions of that is like picture, picture everybody from all over the U.S., coming to your kitchen right now to, you know, talk and work and figure out the best podcast you can possibly make. Well, that's great. You know, you get a lot of work done. Um, you know, you, you make a lot of good friends. And what happens when all these people from all over the country bring their colds and flus with them to your kitchen, mm. they all trade that cold and flu. And then when you're done with your working, you know, with you, with your project, then they go back out to the rest of the country to their homes And what do they do? They just took all of everybody's diseases, maladies, whatever, with them um, across the country. That's exactly what's happening in the bee world. And it's been happening now for for quite some time since the almonds took off in in such a high production. They're just escalated. Um, The amount of acreage is is just beyond belief uh, over the years. So, you know, what's happening is everybody, you know, let's say, you know, someone in the northeast has a really bad varroa problem. They bring them all to California. The Varroa just go all over the place to all these different colonies. And then the Varroa now is populated so much that psh, they go right back out to every every angle or every corner of the U.S. Um, and Varroa is obviously just one example. Uh, you know, the other thing is that th- the almond business has gotten so precise and so strong that uh, the almond fields are, in a sense, kind of a wasteland. Almond trees can produce pollen. They don't really produce nectar or much nectar but there's nothing besides the almonds. So it's mm-hmm. monoculture, right? Mm-hmm. So the ground is literally empty, there's nothing there. And so outside of you know the two weeks or whatever that the almonds bloom, there's not a lot of food there for the bees. So what do the, the commercial guys have to do? They gotta go in, they gotta feed, supplement feed uh, their bees, which typically they don't really feed the healthiest of stuff. They feed the cheapest kind of sugar substitute they can possibly get, which weakens the bees. Again, there's only one type of pollen, it's just the almond tree's pollen. So again, their diet is really kind of weak um, and basic and it weakens the bees, then they all trade their diseases and then they go back to the rest of the country. So uh, it, it, again, it's a long kind of heavy weighted conversation, but it is not a great situation. I'm not really sure the, the, um, the answer to this. It's easy for me, you know, a small sideliner beekeeping operation with a hundred beehives, to say, don't travel anywhere, you know, don't be a a migratory beekeeper, Uh, just, you know, stay in your hometown. um, Because I can do that, you know, because this isn't really, I'm not, you know, a commercial guy. Uh, It's really hard to tell those uh, other people to do the same thing. Uh, If we didn't, you know, move our bees all over the country, we would, I really believe that we would not have, you know, a quarter of what we um, have to deal with right now.
1: No, I believe it. I mean, that's wild. I I didn't know that they were having to substitute food and all that stuff, but I mean, it makes sense that it's just a huge monocrop with all the almonds out there. I mean, and I feel like it's blown, it's blown up really because people are drinking more almond milk than regular milk. And so I feel like almond populations or almond farms have gone up dramatically. So it's this weird issue where bees are already having a difficult time and then now we're needing them to pollinate almonds. So it's like, well, really, what do we do? I mean, it seems like there's no real perfect answer to all this
2: there isn't you can't go out there and just spray pollen in the air and hope you know that it will land uh you know the the drone bees thing is is so far off and really in the end uh you know the the honeybee is is really an amazing pollinator uh that it's really hard to replicate with uh with a machine um yeah you're right i don't really know the answer other than we got to do something i mean you want to add another level to that Well, all of a sudden, we don't have enough bees in the U.S. because we're losing 30 to 40% of our colonies every year. So what do we end up having to do? We got a supplement with importing bees from another country. Well, guess what? That's exactly how we got Varroa, is by importing packages of bees from other countries that uh, Varroa wasn't really an issue uh, with the type of bee that they had called Apis serrana. Uh, and we brought it over here to the U.S. and we manage Apis mellifera, which is the type of honeybee that we have. It's a European honeybee and it can't combat this mite as well as the um, the Apis serrana could. And all of a sudden, boom, we're in deep trouble.
1: Is that how we also got the, um, what's that, the dangerous
2: African bee? Well, it's Africanized honeybees. So right, okay. It's kind of a whole other story. But yeah, they were sort of bred and um, they got out and um, they're very aggressive bees. We don't really have um, Africanized bees here in Tennessee, but they have been found in Georgia. They also are found in Florida. Um, You know, you want (laughs) to, this will be good. You want to talk controversy again? Here we go. Like, (laughs) one one of the ways that people get rid of Africanized honeybees is to put up traps. You know, so, you know, a common thing in, in a while ago, at least, was like at the border. Like, let's put up tons and tons of honeybee traps that will trap, in theory, all of these Africanized bees that are migrating up north, you know, to the U.S. Well, that's fine and all, but but there's another level here of complexity. Like, okay, so we just, let's say, killed all the honeybee colonies in the area so that we won't have any Africanized bees. Well, what do we just do? We created a huge void. So, like, not only did we kill the Africanized bees, but we also killed the the regular European honeybee that we want to keep here. And once you create that void, nature always steps in and, and it's a problem. Uh, you know, if there's an open parking space, it's not good in nature because usually a pest or something bad will just just, you know, kind of ease on in. Um, and that was that was a big issue, you know, and it kind of still is.
1: Oh, no, I believe it. I, it's crazy. I mean, I think bees are super fascinating. Anytime I see a bee, I always think about that quote. It's like an aerobate a bee is not aerodynamic, but it doesn't do <laughs> that. So that's why it flies anyway.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally. Yep.
1: That's awesome. So, how tell us about your honey process, like how exactly do you go from collecting the raw honey to making honey and the good products that you sell? So, what's that whole process like?
2: Um, well, let's see. Without uh, giving
1: away any secrets, of course.
2: Yeah. Yeah, tons <laughs> of trade secrets here. Um, well, how about this? Let's take you through a typical season. So, um it's good to know like if if one of your listeners is like, "Hey, I'm thinking about getting into beekeeping." Um, at least in, you're in, in the U S the typical bee season, let's just use the Southeast because that's where I am. The typical bee season will, you know, you want to take a class or take a school or something, get your education on, uh, in January or February. And it's at that same time that you want to actually order what's called a package of bees, which is a three pound, literally three pounds of bees and a single queen in a cage, like a screened in cage. Um, there's one way to do it and that's the package. The other way to do it is, is, by buying what's called a nucleus colony, which is sort of like a mini beehive. And a mini beehive has just been kind of cut out of a large colony. It has five frames of, uh, bees and brood, which is the baby bees, uh, pollen and nectar, that sort of thing. And so you, you pick your two you know, directions. Are you going to get a package or are you are going to get a nuke? You go to school. So you try and learn at least the foundation or the basics of, you know, how to be a beekeeper. And then usually in about March or April is when the bees arrive. That's when they're kind of ready uh, for the new, new school of, of beekeepers for the year. And then you feed uh, sugar water or something to try and get your bees through the early spring uh, if there isn't enough nectar available for them to, to raise or to grow up on their own. And then usually around June-ish or so, depending on the year, uh, the bees have grown enough so that they've sort of amassed enough honey to survive the following winter. So my bees right now that I just started this year have uh, gained or gathered enough nectar and pollen and created enough population so that hopefully they will have you know enough resources to make it through to next March, which is when you start actually har- making harvestable honey. So the typical process that most people don't understand is that like the day that you get your package of bees or your nuke, it's actually going to be 18 months before you harvest any honey. And it oh. may sound like, oh, like it's really tough, but you got to remember that you're doing it more for than than the honey. You know, you're doing it for the great pollination that, that they're going to provide. You're doing it for the environment. You're doing it for the learning experience for you or your kids or your community, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and then once they're up to speed, so like once you make it past that 18 month goal, then every year you're getting a honey harvest if obviously if they survive. And that honey harvest will vary depending on where you live. Here in Tennessee you can expect on average around 60 pounds of honey per colony of bees uh, so it, it actually starts to uh, to add up pretty fast once you kind of get up and running uh, and you know in some years you'll make hundred to 120 pounds of honey which is, is awesome and you know a lot of people are are also just focused on the honey you got to remember that there is a ton of other things that a beehive produces that most people don't know about uh, which would be you know pollen you can harvest pollen there's something called propolis, which is amazing little substance they make. Uh, you can obviously make wax, uh, which would be lip balms or candles, um, any sort of salves, that sort of thing. Um, you know, you can harvest royal jelly. You can harvest harvest bee venom. Uh, you can make more bees. You can make more queens. I mean, there's like literally like a thousand directions to go in, which is really, really fun. What exactly um, to is get bee venom? Bees. So bee venom is... is is kind of controversial too. <laughs> um, this is great, man. This is the theme of this, this podcast, but, um, so bee venom is cool because, uh, you know, you, you, actually, how you harvest it is a little funky. Like you, I don't do it, but there's some people out there that will, um, they will, there's like a really low voltage shocking. So like you, you, yeah, it looks like almost like a mirror in front of the hive and the bees crawl across this, um, electro, um, area and it like, gently shocks them to the point where they excrete a little bit of their bee venom. And then that dries on this glass surface. And then you scrape it up. It's super dangerous though, if you don't know what you're doing, Mm -hmm. because if you can imagine like a powderized, you know, um, (laughs) like a dust of bee venom, if you inhale that, that's really not a good day. Oh my God. Um, so you gotta be very careful, but in terms of like cosmetics and and medicinal uses, it's extremely valuable. I mean, like I do not want to gather how much it is. It's a lot, a lot of money. Um, so, you know, it takes a lot to make, you know, let's say a, a milliliter of this stuff or 10 CCs of it or whatever it would take a whole season, but that 10 CCs is worth, you know, gobs and gobs of money. Um, so anyways, it's very specialized.
1: That sounds like I've never heard of bee venom before, but I mean, that's crazy. I, there, there's a local place we have here in Florida, um, register bee farm. They sell pollen, uh, bee pollen, mm-hmm. and they're like added to yogurt and I've tried it and it's delicious. Like, it, and I had no idea that that was a thing.
2: Oh, totally the thing. It's, it's great. I mean, you can actually harvest pollen for a lot of the year, and uh, it depends on where you go and where you get your pollen, but I'm very much of an advocate of uh, harvesting pollen and then eating it the correct way. So there's a lot of people that will eat it dehydrated because it's shelf-stable and it's easy to sell. The problem is when you dehydrate your pollen, you lose a lot of the good vitamins and nutrients that are in that pollen. So we harvest our pollen and then immediately freeze it and then sell it frozen. So you would get our tub of pollen and you'd put it on top of your yogurt or in your salads and whatnot um, and eat it you know, fresh right away uh, to get that added nutritional value.
1: Okay, well, fun fact. So yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people, whenever they think about honey, it's either just honey or honeycomb. But then of course, you've got the wax, you've got the venom, you got the bee pollen. There's so much more to honey than people might realize.
2: Oh, so much more. And not only that, but there's some people that will literally hire me to go and sting them. <laughs> uh, it's called apotherapy. Oh. So, like, even beyond consuming the darn stuff, like they want to get stung by bees because there are there's quite a lot of people that believe in um, the you know the medicinal value of getting stung by uh, a bee and that venom and what it does to your body. And I'm no doctor, so all of this is anecdotal. But there are a lot of people that are suffering from, let's say, Lyme disease or nervous disorders or MS is a big one. Uh, that strongly believe that getting stung under, obviously, uh, the right conditions and doctor's orders and all that other stuff, uh, that greatly improve their quality of life. Um, obviously, at the expense of bees, but um, our bees are greatly in, in helping them.
1: Right. So how does that whole process work? I mean, do you pick up, I'm imagining you pick up a bee with like tweezers, you turn the bee around, you get it and sting <laughs> the person. I mean, how, how does that process work?
2: That's pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to be careful and uh you, know, you got to make sure you have a a, a clean uh, site. Um, fun story. Uh, my mother-in-law has um, rheumatoid arthritis. You know, so her, her hands are, are, you know, her knuckles are really, really stiff and she's in a lot of pain. So I'm like, oh, you know, two years into beekeeping. Oh, hey, you ever heard of apitherapy? Let me help you. So I grab, a you know, a, a few bees and I sting her and i had no idea what i was doing and we didn't like we didn't clean her finger enough or something you know we didn't like put alcohol wipe on her finger before stinging and it ended up getting infected and she like literally had to get, like had to have her her finger like operated on like, oh my like god cut apart or whatever so uh, i learned very quickly you have to respect the art of apotherapy, but Um, but again, yeah, it's, it's, it's literally like you touch the bees, um, you know, butt to the skin, wherever you want to sting. And then eventually, you know, it it will sting and, uh, you know, you leave it in for at least 30 seconds, you know, a bee's stinger is barbed. Mm -hmm. So, uh, different than a wasp or, um, you know, other insects like that. So once it stings you, it actually gets stuck in your body or in your skin and it pulls out from. the the bee's body and that venom sac kind of stays connected to the stinger and it will continue to pulse to sort of um get that venom into you know its victim for at least 30 seconds on its own before it sort of goes kaput um so anyways it's it's really fascinating stuff if you spend the time to kind of look at the anatomy and physiology and how it's all working
1: oh i bet i bet you never heard the end of it or or will never hear the end of that from your mother-in-law
2: I, at least she's my mother-in-law. And I knew she wasn't going to sue me. I mean, yeah, I had that's that good. Coming, but, but it made for a, a really awkward Thanksgiving dinner.
1: Oh, I bet it did. <laughs> oh my goodness! So, and a bee dies whenever they sing, right?
2: A bee dies. Yep, when, okay. when they sing. So that's kind of the controversial part. Is like, mm-hmm. you know, the bee is giving its life. Um, you know, it's it's interesting that we we talk about this because you're right. Like a bee does give up its life for the greater good of, you know, of that person that needs that therapy. That's the same kind of situation of when I am working a bee or a new beekeeper is working their new beehive. Like it's a really important concept to grasp uh, when you're starting beekeeping is that you're going to kill bees. Mm. And I know this sounds really kind of weird for me to say, I'm trying to get people into beekeeping, but you are going to lose bees. And those bees are dying for the greater good of the colony and you to be a better beekeeper. So mm-hmm. it's, like, it's like the tuition you're paying to be better in the long run. This bee today got smushed by your mistake or your accident so that you can maybe not smush you know, 10 million bees in the next two years or five years or whatever. Uh, and if you think of a beehive as sort of a super organism, you know, the greater good, this one little bee will readily give up its life for the greater good of that colony. And you are doing the same thing for your apiary, you know, your bee yard. You are trying to do the best you can. And if you make a mistake on that one colony, you are still trying to, to do the right thing for the greater good of all your colonies. Um, I mean, this leads into like a, a whole other topic of, you know, what are the lessons that the beehive can give us and how do we apply those to our lives and our, you know, our business, our job, our country, you name it. Um, there is quite a a heavy, you know, deep, um, there's deep meaning in beekeeping, at least in my opinion, um, because of all the lessons that they teach me that I'm able to apply, you know, not just thinking of myself, thinking of the greater good of my family or, you know, my business or the country or whatever, like I said.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, unlike, like if you have like a small, uh, beef ranch or something, you might have maybe a hundred head of cattle, which is difficult to maintain, obviously. But if you've got a beehive, you've got what thousands of bees you've got to take care of and make sure. I mean, you don't harm any of them or none of them get sick. I mean, I'm sure it's super duper stressful.
2: Yeah, I mean, bees are kind of constantly being born and dying. You know, my queens lay on average 1500 eggs a day. Wow. uh, And these queens can live for years on end if you treat them right. In a typical colony, you know, in the summertime can be 80 to 100,000 bees. Uh, so, you know, if you have a yard of, you know, 30 colonies, that's a lot of bees you're you're talking, you know, you're in the millions of bees uh, and, and you can greatly impact the area in a good way or a bad way, you know?
1: Oh, I can imagine. So, so moving on to bee removal, I always, I think these videos are super duper satisfying on Instagram or Facebook or wherever, but the whole process of getting rid of bees where they're not supposed to be and then relocating them. So how how does that whole process work? Like somebody calls you up, "Hey, I've got bees in my house." You go over there, you get the hive, you try to get the queen and all the bees follow. So how does that whole thing work?
2: Um, so it starts out usually with a panicked phone call uh <laughs> where someone sounds like they're, you know, like their house is going to explode, which is pretty funny. Uh and it's usually like, "Oh, there's millions of bees, you know, flying around my house," which is always funny because when they say millions, it always means there's like, you know, <laughs> take like a bunch of zeros off. That's probably what it is. Like it's not as big as they think, but it's, it's just overwhelming. Um, you know, there's typical like peak seasons, at least in, in the Southeast. And the peak seasons are, you know, March, April, May, June, pretty much. And then it slows down during the dearth. So, you know, July and August. And then there's a, there's a small season in um, September, October. That's, you know, about three, four weeks. But anyway, so they call you up and they say, hey, I just discovered you know, a colony in my wall or in my, you know, my awning or whatever it is. And you go over there and, you know, usually you you see the bees coming and going and you have to know a little bit about building construction uh, if you're going to get into that sort of uh, division of of beekeeping, because you really don't want to tear someone's house apart. You don't want to get yourself hurt because it can be very dangerous if you cut the wrong spot. And, you know, you want to make sure that, uh, you know, you are doing the least amount of damage to remove this colony because whatever you do, The homeowner has to fix it, you know, or somebody has to fix it. Uh, and so what you'll do is, yeah, you'll get in there. Um, you know, most colonies in, in nature, they look fairly similar. So, you know, sort of the, the makeup before you really get too crazy. You can walk up there with your thermal imaging camera, see the heat signature on the wall and know, okay, this is where the brood nest is. You know, this is where the babies are. And typically the honey is going to be in the outsides of the hive, uh, you know, in the ends, and then there's going to be one queen in there typically. And so if you can find the queen, man, your life is golden. It's awesome. Uh, Because once you find the queen, you're basically in charge. Like they will follow the queen wherever she goes. So if you can get the queen out of there and you can put the queen and your, you know, your catch box or whatever it is nearby, the bees will literally file out uh, to go follow that queen, which is pretty fun. Now, typically that doesn't happen um, if it's a big messy uh, removal. So you'll end up cutting the comb out and trying to save the brood, save the babies and put them into sort of a man-made beehive called a Langstroth hive. And so you'll put it in, you know, that hive. You'll try and collect as much of the brood, as much of the honey, typically to feed the the bees the honey. You really don't consume that honey in someone's wall because you have no idea kind of the history of of that (laughs) wall. And, you know, you don't want asbestos honey doesn't sell very well on the markets. Um, So, yeah, you you avoid uh, eating it, but you generally feed the honey back to the bees. Once you get to the new yard, you cut out as much as you can, And then I will spray a substance after I'm all done to try and mask or deter any sort of forager bees that might've been out when I was doing my work uh, and kind of get them on their merry way, like go somewhere else. You know, don't keep coming back and inhabiting things. It's a fairly messy process. You know, you, you go there clean and you come home with honey on every inch of everything in your car. Uh, But it's also really satisfying. And, you know, you, if you don't remove this colony, things generally don't go well. So you know, if anybody out there is listening, thinking, well, why don't I just seal up the hole and, you know, and I make the bees go away. It doesn't really work that way. <laughs> uh, you know, once you have wax and you have honey inside your walls, not only is the wax a fire hazard, but now the honey is going to attract every, everything that you don't want. It's going to attract a bunch of ants or rodents or you name it. And you can't really just leave that inside your wall and think you're good to go. Eventually it's going to get you. Uh, so you kind of got to remove them. And, and we obviously are strong, proponents of don't spray, you know, you, again, you can't just like spray bee killer, you know, spray inside your wall and think you're good to go. Now you've created a bigger problem because no beekeeper is going to come and take those bees once they've been sprayed with pesticides. Uh, And, you know, I don't want anything that I, none of my gear will ever touch something that has been, you know, had pesticides sprayed on it. So you're kind of in a bind if you do that.
1: So basically you can, if, if you have honey or honeycombs in your walls, you can't put like a spout and just have free honey for life. I mean, would you not recommend that? (laughs) Man, if
2: you could figure that out, it's golden idea. I mean, yeah, you would just be a millionaire, but no, it doesn't quite work that way. It's not like a maple tree. Uh, You got to do something. And, and, you know, too, like bees always like they're not all of us want to have more of ourselves. That's nature, right? So like bees are constantly trying to repopulate more areas and split you know split the hive where half the hive will go off and create a new colony in someone else's you know house or whatever so you if you have a small colony they're gonna get bigger uh you know it never you know they're they're not gonna be happy with the space they have no matter what um you know beekeeping i i say this a lot but beekeeping is kind of like raising teenagers like you kind of give them that space to grow but you kind of like just like steer them. And then in the end, they're going to choose what to do. Well, if there's a big wall where you, know, you got two studs and, and a whole, you know, a 10 foot tall void space, they're going to eventually take over that whole space. And then they're going to go somewhere else and do it more. Uh, so, you know, your problem doesn't really go away. It just gets bigger. And that's kind of the art of beekeeping is like, you give them, you know, a little bit more room, a little bit more room, and then you take room away. And it's kind of this this game you play with your bees to kind of entice them to grow, not grow too much, but then make the beekeeper, you know, all the good stuff.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah. I always find those videos super satisfying. There's one lady on Instagram. I can never remember her name, but she's got a pretty big following and she talks like very calmly in the whole videos. It's very soothing to watch. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. She's world famous.
1: (laughs) I bet. And now she, you have like the bee protection, like the whole bee suit on, but she doesn't. So I've seen, it seems like there's a mix of people that either have the bee equipment on or don't. So what's the difference there?
2: Well, I mean, you got to remember that, like, so um, I love it. I feel like I keep saying it, but hers is a little controversial uh, because there's some people that say you shouldn't, you know, be showing all these things where you're not wearing a bee suit because you're going to, you know, there's bees out there like Africanized bees that can really hurt you. And unless you know what you're doing, you should be wearing, you know, the proper PPE. And I get that argument, but also in, you know, in her defense, she knows what she's doing. You know, they usually smoke the bees pretty well. And, you know, the bees are on the smaller side. She's not necessarily removing, you know, a colony like I have that is over my head. You know, my production colonies are uh, 10 supers tall or 12 supers tall. So I I need a stepladder to get up to them. That's 130,000 bees. She's typically not doing that. She's doing a smaller removal. And a lot of the removals she does are swarms. So swarms are really cool because they're super docile. So you can literally just wear street clothes, walk right up to them stick your hand in the middle of the darn clump of bees and they're not gonna do anything um, and the reason is that there's not a lot for them to defend like there's not a ton of honey they're they're just sort of hanging out waiting to figure out where they're gonna go next they haven't really started their their house um, and as a result you know they're just sort of chilling it's like if you and me went to you know Alaska and you know we were standing in the middle of this frozen area well we're not gonna be like going and attacking everybody we're just gonna sort of be like just chilling like we're gonna be like all right what do we need to do like Let's wait and try and figure out where our home's going to be. Um, and bees are kind of the same way. They're just sort of like just chilling. They're just like trying to figure out or wait for their, their forever home. And that's why she's able to go in there and, and remove them so easily is literally with her bare hands um, because they're they're not in the state where you got to be worried, where they're going to come after you very much. Um, and again, she uses the smoker and um, she's very calm. Bees are just like uh, like horses in a sense where they can tell, If you're uh, excited, relaxed, uh, you name it. Uh, And that's why actually beekeeping for a lot of people, myself included, is very therapeutic. It forces you to slow down and be very methodical and purposeful in your movements and not speak very loudly. You know, speak with a whisper. And that's kind of what she does in a lot of her videos. And she's also a great storyteller. Um, so, you know, obviously people resonate with her.
1: Oh yeah. That's a good point. And when I was in college, we went to a beekeeping place at the university of Florida and we were only there for like a few hours and we had the whole get up on and it was so cool. Like, like, like you just said, we were talking real slow, walking real slow, moving real slow. And the bees were fine. Like they never seem agitated. It was just really cool to be in that environment. I mean, I think there was like maybe 20 of us around like a couple of colonies of bees, but it was so fun.
2: Yeah. And they'll fly, they'll fly right around you. And as long as you don't have like a weird smell, like smells you can use to your advantage. Like if you smell bad, <laughs> if you have like some BO problems or like too much deodorant, <laughs> that's going to be an issue too. Like they'll tell you, like, and they'll, they'll tap, they'll run into your veil and kind of tap it. And that's their way of telling you, we don't like your smell. That's kind of the reason you use a smokers to cover up anybody's smell. Oh. But you can also use that to your advantage. Um, just a, I don't know, a few weeks ago now, there's a country music singer named Mo Pitney. I don't know if you ever heard of him, but he's a super cool guy. And he's in Nashville. And he just came out with a, a, a song called Local Honey. And the song's doing really well. And he wanted to visit a local bee farm and you know, kind of um, mix it up with some local beekeepers. So he came to the yard and I have these wipes um, that are swarm lures. So it's like a, a piece of cloth that has been soaked or impregnated with uh, queen pheromone. Uh, and it smells, it kind of smells like um, lemongrass in a sense. So anyways, I took that smelling, you know, pad and I had him rub it all over his hands. And then I dumped, you know, about a thousand bees on his hands. And he literally had, you know, <laughs> these bees crawling all over. In retrospect, it probably wasn't the smartest thing since this guy makes his living with his hands on his guitar. <laughs> but beyond that, it was amazing photo shoot because he could hold his hands up to the camera and smile and, you know, show off his, you know, local honey hands all because we made the right smell that the bees liked and didn't hate and because of that he's barehanded with these things all over him and no one's getting stung luckily no one got stung in the entire photo shoot which was awesome because we tap into it
1: well there you go that's awesome yeah i bet that made for a really cool picture that's awesome
2: yeah check it out it's uh i'm not sure his instagram handle but it's uh mo pitney um online he he does he the pictures and the videos that we shot are all over the place so you're you're welcome to check them out.
1: I'll have to go look at that. And now speaking of country mu- music artists, I was looking at your reels and I was like, why does this girl look really familiar? I was like, oh, that's his sister. <laughs> I was like, oh wait, Kimberly Williams Paisley. Oh, that's Brad Paisley's wife. I was like, oh my god, that's <laughs> so cool.
2: Yeah, he's the reason that we moved to Tennessee. It was uh it was us, I mean his his country music, you know, career was doing well back in the day and so we're like, you know what? Nashville seems really cool. Let's move there. And so Kim moved here and we moved here and uh, we're very, very close family. We literally live a mile away. So we hang out all the time.
1: Oh, that's so fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I was watching the reels, the dancing reels you guys do. Y'all got some moves. I mean, it seems like, (laughs) I mean, film school, (laughs) dance school, beekeeping, that's pretty good.
2: Well, one of the reasons we were doing that is um, my, uh, my mother unfortunately passed away from Alzheimer's a few years ago. And we are actually Trying to promote as any way possible. And so, if that means I got to dance, I'll do it. But we're trying to promote the uh, Alzheimer's Foundation, Alzheimer's Association's um, dance party that we're doing in Nashville this year uh, to try and raise money for the Alzheimer's Foundation. So, you know, you expect to see mo- many more of those videos because whatever it takes to get the word out, to, <laughs> to get people to participate in this, uh, in this fundraiser, we're going to do it.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I saw the hashtag. It's like dance to end ALZ. I like that. Mm-hmm. Alzheimer's.
2: Yep, exactly.
1: Well, yeah. well, that's cool. Well, Jay, this has been so cool chatting with you about all things honey. Uh, I learned a lot. If I ever try to do beekeeping, I will definitely hit up your academy. Um, if people awesome. want to learn more about you, see what you're doing, where can they go?
2: Uh, well, you can start going to williamshoneyfarm.com. Uh, and you can, you know, see all the different links that we've talked about. Um, tacticalbeekeeping.com is the kind of the website of where you can go to school. Uh, you follow us on Instagram at williamshoneytn We're also on Facebook and Twitter and all that other stuff. But Instagram is definitely sort of where we we hang out the most and have the most fun. So you definitely uh, can follow along with our antics every day because we we try and put out whatever we can, whether it be good or bad.
1: (laughs) Hey, there you go. Hey, there's no such thing as bad content. I mean, as long as you're having fun, it's good. (laughs) Exactly. All right, Jay. Well, thanks, man. Best of luck and we'll be in touch.
2: Awesome. Thanks. Talk to you soon.
1: Hey again, thanks so much for listening to this episode with Jay. I hope you learned a lot. I know I sure did. Um, I actually have really exciting news, which I think is actually going to be the first time we're announcing it here on the podcast. But anyway, we are going to be doing a trial of something like a subscription box. So we're going to be doing a 10 item, I'm sorry, a 10 box run for the first month. I'm going to try to start shipping them out in August. So if you are interested, our first themed box will be honey. And we will actually be f- featuring Jay Williams's honey from Williams Honey Farm. So if you're interested, please feel free to let me know. Email me at farmtravelerseries@gmail.com at gmail.com or message us on Instagram, Facebook, wherever you are following us and let me know that you would be interested in the honey boxes. So the whole plan is is that we want to connect you, the consumer, or you, the farmer, with some awesome niche products from farmers and ranchers across the country. And so what we're doing with this first box, we are partnering with three honey businesses, and we are going to be shipping you out. Each box is gonna have three little one ounce bottles of honey, and so those companies are Williams Honey Farm out of Tennessee, Register Bee Farm here in Florida, and we're working with another farm from Hawaii So you will get three very different very unique and very awesome Honey products in your box and also some little trinkets and stuff like that So we're still trying to figure out the logistics and all that stuff So if you're interested, we are only doing ten boxes Just to see how quickly they go and how the interest is. So if you were interested again message me on Instagram or Facebook or email us at farmtravelerseries at gmail.com. Uh, we hope to keep doing this. I think it's going to be really neat. We're going to see how it goes. So thank you for listening and be sure to let me know if you're interested. Okay. Bye.